8 o'clock in the morning on this Thursday, 13 years later after 9-11. And this is America's one and only Jewish Moments in the Morning Radio program heard on listeners-sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope. Uh, around the world on the web, jmnam.org. Uh, he is the world's number one kosher wine sommelier. How he continues to uh, hold on to that position, I don't know. I always warn him, when you're number one, there's only one direction you can go in, so got to try very hard to hold on to that top spot. And he takes that seriously. He's, of course, the one and the only Jay Booksbaum. <clears throat> wow. That was it's, a not, rough. it's not. What time is that it? That was a rough call. They don't serve coffee at the first minion in Elizabeth? <laughs> you know, I'm in big trouble. Why? Because you get me into trouble. How does that happen? I walk into shul this morning, <laughs> 545, and like two people come over to me and go, we figured you'd be here. I said, how did they know I was going to be here? Because you announced, it's amazing how many people listen to you. You announced that Jay's going to be here, and that's the only game in town that I can make it here on time. So you mean that if you would have missed that minion, I really would have gotten you Oh, in my gosh. They would have said, did Jay Davin this morning? You know? you know, Jay, in the old country in Williamsburg, you can catch a 12 noon shockers. You know that, right? You can always head on 12 noon? Even you know, later? Like 4 noon. You know? you always, and, and by the way, regards from Seth. Oh, thank you. From Abelson Hyman. Seth Levitt, he's the man. The man, uh, oh man. What, I love his stuff. He's got to... And he's such a good guy. Here was the rumor he told me last week. A beer-soaked hot dog he mm. was working on. What do you think of that, Jay? I don't know, but I'd like to <laughs> soak in the beer and eat the hot dog at the same time. Um, so he is the world's number one kosher wines. On a serious note, before we introduce our special guest and before yeah. we talk about what's happening in this upcoming Russia Shana season, because you always say... Rosh Hashanah is the perfect time to try some brand new wines, right? Absolutely. I always say that. Um, today is the 13th anniversary of 9-11, and we spoke on uh. a regular basis in that, in that, in that era, me. as you remember. I do. And, and you told me this week that there was a really, really difficult journey for you to get back to the New York area once uh, everything was shut down. It was crazy. In New York, and I don't remember the story. So quickly, tell everybody what was right, going so, on for you so 13 where in the years world ago is, today. Where in the world is Jay Bookstam? Right. Where in the world was Jay Books Mama 9-11? Mexico. That's where you were. And I was, I was staying at my good friend, uh, Avram Corsan's home in Polanco. And he says, Jay, come here, come here. And I walk into the living room and there on the TV was the first tower getting hit or right. got hit. Right. And th- it was in between. So the second tower got, hadn't gotten hit yet. And I'm looking at it. It was like surreal. To make a long story very short, we saw the second tower go down. First, second target hit, go down. Took me three days to get home. What was the system? A short flight, a short flight to Juarez. Before Shabbos? Yeah, yeah. A short, this 9-11 was, like was Tuesday. Well, 9-11 was Tuesday. Right. So this was Tuesday. Oh, on Tuesday itself he took the flight. Yeah. Okay. Took a short flight. To, I, I waited in the airport. Right. Everything was canceled. Finally, internally, there was a short flight to Juarez which is still on the Mexican side. And then we drove over the border in a taxi with four other Americans from disparate parts of the country. You're serious. Right? With four other Americans. What, a -a rent-a-car? No, a taxi. Oh, a taxi. We picked up a taxi at Juarez Airport. From Mexico City to Juarez Airport. Thought you were hailing a cab down there. (laughs) It's unbelievable. (laughs) And it was also, it was like typical movie style, you know, like a real Catalinka. I mean, it was falling apart. There was stuff (laughs) hanging off. It was was like a 1958, you know, Chevy, uh, whatever. You were praying you'd be in one piece on the other side of the border. So we get, we get to the border and interestingly enough, today this would never happen. We showed our licenses, you know, or whatever. I mean, like, it wasn't.
was no oh, you had no deal. passport. Oh, I oh, you did. should have. Right, in Mexico. Right, right, I had my right. passport, and we did. We showed up passports, whatever, right. but they let us right through. Yeah, today they never let the guy like you in, right? Then we rented <laughs> <laughs> and, until I put on my mustache, you know, my fake right. mustache. Right, once you put on your disguise, then exactly. you'll sneak in. Anyway, and the, and the shades, right. you know. Anyway, we, the guy, we rent a Hertz car, drove like 600 miles to Dallas. I'm not kidding. How many people? Uh, four. You sat 600 miles in a Hertz car. It was like unbelievable. And there's 400 miles. When do you arrive in Dallas? Uh, six hours later. Still Tuesday? No. No, uh, no, this was Wednesday afternoon. Okay. Then my, my brother-in-law happened to live, they were actually going to Chicago. So imagine they had to go from the top of Texas all the way to Chicago. They they kept driving. They just dropped me off at my brother-in-law's home. I stayed there. <clears throat> for a day and a half, finally got a flight from Dallas to Philadelphia, rented a car. That was Thursday, I guess. That was Thursday. Rented a car and finally got home late, late Thursday night, driving a one-way car <laughs> from Philadelphia to... But you had to see the airports. The airports were completely dead. So even when they reopened flying on Thursdays, I assume it was not before Thursday, they reopened flights. Some flights. Right. Even then, only those who really had to get somewhere yeah. were at the airport. Otherwise, forget. And there was no, you know, we see this. Everybody thinks that the re- the security we have today is like the right. regular. There was no security, relatively speaking, to what we have today. Nothing. You used to walk up to the gate, you know, right. and they let you in, and that's it. But you're you saying even, even for that flight, there was no security. There was no security. Right. Wow. How times have changed. Huh? Unbelievable. Well, it was nice having you. Thanks for stopping by. <laughs> glad I made it back. Uh, a lot of people are glad. And you they- know, my cousin. I told you about my cousin. He was in the second building, Jack Booksbaum. From West Hempstead? Yeah, from West, you know Jack. Um, I know that he lives in West Hempstead. (laughs) Okay. Well, anyway, he was, he works for the uh, Port of Authority and he's like the chief uh, engineer. Anyway, at that time. Oh, that must have been scary. Oh my gosh. He saw the first, uh, the first thing hit. He grabbed his secretary, said, I don't know what's happening, but we're out of here. Thank God. He went, he took the elevator down. He was in the second building and he just kept walking to the Brooklyn Bridge. Did not look back until he got to the other side of the Brooklyn Bridge, and thank God he, he just didn't look back. Say he took three a, a bunch of people with him, a bunch of his coworkers with him. They were going to wait. Let's see what happens. Yep. It's I, an I, I, am, I am shuddering in fear just thinking about the thought processes that people had that day, and who made the quote unquote right decisions, and who made other decisions. My God. 13 years later, unbelievable. J.M. and the A.M. at 7 minutes after 8 o'clock. Jay is here, of course, and as we always say, he is, of course, the number one kosher wine sommelier in the world. This is not, I'm not kidding, folks. This is not, no, but I'm serious. This is not like we're bringing in, you know, we're bringing in any, any guy on the wine committee. You know, any, any guy on your, on your strong bench over there at Royal Wine. We, we've got the best. And, uh, today we have a chance to speak about Rosh Hashanah, but even more importantly, you're going to introduce to us somebody who not only deals with wines all year round, but as somebody who's from this area and decided to make his life in Israel. And not to extend the suspense too much, but I must tell you a quick story. You know, who, you know who we had over last Shabbos? No. We had over uh, the Ambrose family. Ah, now Gary. You, now you know what that means. Yeah, you had good wine. Well, not just that we had good wine. I, I now, because I... You now gave him good correct, wine. Correct. Oh, words, man, I now that's ha- amazing. I now have to live up to this new reputation that I know what I'm talking about. It only took me 30 years. <laughs> when it comes <laughs> to wine. So I took a I took a chance. I said, okay, Gary, we have a, an amazing bottle for you this Shabbos. And I pulled out the single vineyard 
Cabernet from Sagot. Oh, wow. N- that, nice that one, is, right? That's pretty amazing. Nice choice. Yeah. Nice choice. And thank God all went really <laughs> smoothly. All went good. He's, I'm telling you, he and his family were... Well, Jakob Berg makes some great wines. Yeah, got some great wines there. Worked out really well. And uh, just wanted you to know that your student, your student is uh, progressing. A little slow, but, you know. Why, 30 years? <laughs> 30 years. My math teacher... No, but- my yeah. math teacher's hoping I get it 30 years later. <laughs> they would consider that an accomplishment. <laughs> anyway, uh, is there a lot? My of- math teacher's given up. Well, <laughs> everyone has their own situation. Uh, sitting to your right is whom? Who do we have here? Is a Justin guest. Cohen. Justin Cohen is here today. He might be familiar to some of the people in our immediate listening audience. He's in fact, you want to hear this? Yeah. He's in fact a TABC graduate. How do you like that? Who goes to TABC? Oh, I know a lot of folks who go to TABC. <laughs> Only the best. And I want to tell you something. They're going to be very proud when they hear about Justin Cohen, not only because he works with Tabor Wines in Israel and because he spends a good part of his day in uh, the Judean Hills and another good part of his day up in the Golan Heights, but he's somebody who grew up in this area and decided at some point, you know what? It's time to get out of here and get to Israel. And what an appropriate day on this September the 11th when we're still when democracy and freedom are still under attack, and when there's no place for Jews as safe as Israel, as much as we love this blessed country here. What a day to talk about moving from this area to Israel. What year was it you made Aliyah? We made Aliyah in the summer of 2012. And what was the decision? Was it sort of like that, enough here, we just got to get out and go to Israel? Uh, Well, actually, my wife and I knew we wanted to go for quite a while. And it was just an issue of when to make that jump. Uh, and eventually we decided, listen, you know, things aren't going to change. It's a uh, cycle to get into. We had a great life, great community, a uh, great Jewish life. But we decided if we're serious about this dream, we just got to set a date and go. And you're now in the Zayat neighborhood of Efrat. That's right. We are and in boy, Zayat. am I jealous. I, I had <laughs> dreams of owning a home and building a studio in the Zayat neighborhood. And They're still building, so come on by. Are they still building in Zayat? Yeah, yeah. Right. Currently, there's about 170 units that are in the middle of uh, being constructed. Which would be how far of a walk from your home, those units? Far, right? No, no, no. These units are probably about five minutes. Really? Yeah. Jay, our next uh, venture over to Israel, we should uh, stop in the Judea. Are you, are you like, paying for my... Uh no. Down payment? Uh, in, fact, <laughs> in fact, I was thinking the opposite. We take, we take one of those really expensive bottles in your wine cellar and put it down at the trade bank. Trade it, right? Exactly. Just like I trade for hot dogs. As simple uh. as that. Um, and, uh, and so you settle on Efrat. Did you have an interest in wine or uh, both personally and business-wise before you left for Israel? Yeah, that's a great question. Actually, uh, for 10 years prior, I was working with Royal Wine oh. under the tutelage of Jay over here. Like you said, the oh, best. Oh, so you're old friends. Jay and I go back, yes. Oh, I thought you met on his recent trip to Israel or something. <laughs> <laughs> so I was in the business for 10 years here, developed a love and a passion for it. And actually, I told somebody yesterday, uh, probably my second year on the job here, I was riding around with Adam Montefiore from Carmel Winery. Right. And I looked at him and he asked me, where do you want to be in five years from now? I said, I want to be standing in your shoes. This is exactly what I want to be doing. I want to be an export manager for a winery in Israel, bringing Israel's finest to America, serving it up at people's tables, and really building Israel's brand. And uh, it took more than five years, but uh, Baruch Hashem, we were able to develop that dream. And how did you find Tabor? Why that winery of all the... I mean, there are a million wineries in Israel now. Yeah, there's over 300-plus wineries in Israel. Uh, there's only about a handful, maybe 10 wineries, that really can support a full-time export manager which is part of the infrastructure mm. problem now. Uh, when I arrived, my plan actually was to seek out smaller wineries and put them together and brand them. 
However, um, thank God I had two opportunities uh, from large wineries, and Tabor has a great, great organization, and they really love what was going on and their vision. And uh, it's, so far, it's been a great shidduch. This is where in the Golan Heights? It's actually in the Galil, uh-huh. uh, right by, in the village of Kfar Tabor, uh, in the foothills of Mount Tabor. The village was actually started. Yeah, there you go. The village was actually started through cultivating grapes by the Rothschild family. You know, we probably heard the story before, but some of your audience may have not. They donated land and know-how in 1896 to Carmel to develop the, uh, the right. whole wine industry. Five years later, they decided let's go up to the Galil now and cultivate there. They realized this was a great place to grow grapes, and it's there that four generations ago, one of the pioneers was Mr. Sella. Uh, then his, his great-great-grandson finally, in 1999, opened the winery after growing grapes for four generations. Uh, is the Galil a, a good place to grow a vineyard? Absolutely. Israel's got many microclimates that are suited for vineyards in different areas. Uh, and even in the Galil, there's several microclimates. Um, but definitely, it presents great opportunity for Israel. Is there any comparison to any area of the United States when it comes to the variety of climates that they have in yes, Israel? Yes, actually. It's what, what's interesting, if you close your eyes, everybody, and visualize, Israel's uh, west coast right. is on the Mediterranean. Right. What other famous wine-growing region is, is off a body of water? Well, California. California. So the Golan Heights and the Upper Galilee are considered uh, very similar in their great terroir, you know, way of growing grapes and type of grapes. Sometimes it's it's likened to uh, Northern California, Napa, Sonoma, etc. Interesting. So, yeah. Jay Booksbaum, Justin Cohen, they're both here in the studio. We're talking about the Tabora Winery, and Jay's going to have recommendations before this Rosh Hashanah holiday in terms of um, a new wines in general. Uh, now, I was told that uh, because I asked you just a moment ago about the uniqueness or how good it is to you know grow vineyards up in the Galil, and from the very fact that there's a successful vineyard up there, I guess, you know, that proves it in and of itself. But I was told that there is something called good dirt, that there is some, that, that dirt, because usually we concentrate on grapes, climate, conditions, etc., etc. But the dirt that you're growing these grapes in actually has a role. Explain. Absolutely. Uh, actually, just to take it a step back. And by the way, don't we say all dirt in Israel is good? Like you can't. All, all dirt is good. Absolutely, all Israeli dirt is great. Uh, actually, I heard in Jay's name yesterday a great story. No, I'm going around, and the manager of the IWPA says to me, "Jay has a saying. What are the three most important things in making a great wine?" So I look at him. I think for a minute. I say, "Grapes." Right. He says, "What's number two?" I'm thinking, and then I say, "You know what?" Grapes. He goes, that's exactly what Jay says. Grapes, grapes, and grapes. Mm, that's the expression, now, huh? Now, what we do at Tabor is a little bit different, actually. Most people are buying buying grapes from growers that are recognized as having great Cabernet, particularly in the Golan or, you know, maybe the Jordan Hills, terrific Shiraz, etc. And that's the number one component of grape. But we have an agronomist on staff, Michal Ackerman, and her job is to understand earth and how it reacts with the soil. She has a PhD. She is literally a freak of nature. She is a nature freak. This is all she <laughs> She's does. She's a freak about nature. This is all she does. Every day, she goes to our vineyards and looks at them. But So you're saying I could not get that job. <laughs> uh, you may be a freak of nature, but I don't know if you're a nature freak. <laughs> so what she does is she goes to each of our growers 
every single week and visits them. But before we sign on with the grower or plant the vineyard, we do what's known as soil mapping. And to the best of my knowledge, we're the only ones that do this. It's actually taking a step backwards. Before buying the grapes or a vineyard, we analyze the soil. And Michal could tell, based on that soil and the other aspects of terroir, the rain, the sun, the wind, which grape be best to be cultivated there. And so it's actually taking a step backwards, but it's really very forward-thinking. And it's a commitment to quality, and it's really doing the work in the vineyards, but even before it's a vineyard, doing the work on the earth, soil mapping. Jay, is this, Man, this is guy, this crazy or he's not? scaring me. He's I so mean, articulate. You, can, <laughs> I mean, really? you being number one kosher wine sommelier, you would say this stuff does make a difference or not? Oh, yeah, definitely. For sure? Oh. Like, you really could... Well, you know, you can, you can appreciate that they're actually analyzing soil on a regular basis. You know, let, let me let me cut in here for one moment, if I may. I have pictures. I'll show you off air. Obviously, audience can't see. There's something called limestone where we grow a particular grape, our Sauvignon Blanc, right. and then we have Terra Rosa. By looking at the picture, it's almost you're looking at a white yellow color on limestone and a brown on Terra Rosa. If you and I can tell by the naked eye, and we don't know anything about dirt or science, right. that there's a clear physical difference. It makes sense that chemically and minerally, it's going to affect what grows there. So it's not just this theory. I mean, we right. see it in practice as well. It's noticeable to the regular well, person. Well, the way, the way I explain it is if anyone had an ant farm as a kid, you know, where you have this mm. little squeezed thing and the mm-hmm. ants go all the way through. So there's different stratas of soil. When that, when that vineyard's uh, roots reach down, as it brings up the water into the grape, it pulls with it whatever's in that soil, a little bits of whatever flavors are in that soil. So the soil will actually affect what flavors end up in the juice or in the water of that grape. And Unbelievable. That's, that's what... Uh, Jay Booksbaum's here, Justin Cohen from Tabor. How many wines does your vineyard or winery make? Currently for the American market, we have nine wines. Those are all exported by you. They're exported by Tabor and imported by Royal Wine. And gotcha. they're found, obviously, with Royal's great reach all over the country. Leo has it, Jay? Lipa? Actually. I mean Lipa. Lipa. Sorry, Leo. It's Lipa. Leo Lipa is actually uh, <laughs> promoting the wines with the tasting tonight, I heard in the store. Are you serious? Free chillin'. You heard? You. You're going to be there. First you of all, first of all, in all fairness to Leo, and I can't get Jay into trouble because nobody likes when he focuses on one person out there who sells wine. <laughs> right. We should focus on every all the great people who sell wine. And but there's I'll, a lot of them. But I'll focus for a moment. Okay. The chillin' is every Thursday night by Leo. Oh, uh, yeah? Every Thursday for, for night. For me, it's just this Thursday. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> We're I was heading back with you to the Holy Land. Anyway, so that's uh, so we should tell that to everybody. If you want to taste it, go tonight, West yeah. Englewood Avenue. Leo's going to have a whole bunch of this stuff, and uh, and he'll be serving Chalent as well. Are you able to keep all these bottles reasonably priced, or that's impossible to do once they're coming in all the way from Israel? Actually, it's a great question, and we are one of our main strengths as a winery is being able to deliver a great price quality ratio. Um, our focus, as we began as a boutique winery, has always been on quality. But based on economies of scale, as we've grown to about the fifth largest winery in Israel, we're able to keep the prices significantly lower than many of the smaller wineries that just, like I said, as you know, economies of scale, are producing a lot less wine. Understood. understood. Doesn't hurt to be owned by some big company. Correct. Right? We That's have true. we have a large, probably the largest beverage company in Israel, uh, bankrolling us, which helps us be able to reinvest in equipment. Can we name them or not? Sure. They're the CBC group. They're responsible for the Coca-Cola in Israel. Responsible Coke for, Israel owns them. But, I mean, but that's on. not just it. Niviot Water, <gasps> Pregot Juice, Tara Dairy, Johnny Walker, and all their family of brands in Israel. They needed a wine to fit in the portfolio, wine being the most prestigious beverage coming out of Israel. That's right. And they looked for about two years 
they saw Tabor, they saw Tabor's vision and the capabilities, and as they say, the rest is history. Who made that deal? Someone must have gotten a big raise at Tabor when that came through. Actually, the owner was very hesitant to sell because it's a family business. They started many good point many yeah. years, four generations before growing grapes. And when you know this big conglomerate beverage group approached them, it took him two years to agree to the sale. His number one concern was saying, "This is not pre-got. This is not Johnny Walker. You have to treat it very nuanced." And he didn't want to give up any control. It took two years to strike an agreement when Oren Sella, the founding fam, uh, founding member of the winery was able to, hey, I will sell, but I control all aspects of wine decisions. And that continues still today? That continues today. Oren's the real manager. Oren is the manager of the winery, 100%. And uh, a sweet guy. Yeah, <laughs> gentle giant. He actually, um, <laughs> funny story, he, uh, he controls, like I said, all aspects of the winery now, and he goes to these board meetings with these big brands, Coca-Cola, Prigat, Carlsberg, Torberg. He's 1% of their holding, but since the... The uh, head of the whole group is a big wine guy. <laughs> he gives Oren an opportunity to go first and everything. And <laughs> it's all who it. you know, huh, Jay? Absolutely. <laughs> I'll tell you, that's unbelievable. Justin Cohn is here. We're talking about Tabor and the uh, uh, amazing winery story in Israel, which just continues to grow, as Jay has told us. Every every Monday and Thursday, yet another winery is sprouting up in the whole You know, night. I just came back from Chicago. I was in Chicago this week. Don't Monday, tell me there's Tuesday. a new winery in Chicago. No, but... <laughs> I did a seminar on Israeli wines only for a chain of stores called Binnie's. The 32 stores, four of them, four of the stores are in Jewish neighborhoods. The rest are in completely, you know, Gentile areas. And every single one of them now has Israeli wines on their shelves. It's unbelievable. So it's really, there's really, uh, you know, we're working, we work so hard on trying to send the message out. I don't have to do it for your listeners because right. they your know listeners, about it. Yeah. Right. But to try to send the message out there to the general populace that it's just a great place for great But wine. that is a good question for Justin. And this is a perfect opportunity because obviously this time of year and before Pesach are probably the two biggest kosher wine buying seasons. Tell the average person out, tell the people out there, nobody's average in this audience, everyone's spectacular in this audience, tell us. When we buy a bottle of Israeli wine, who are we supporting? Why is it so important that, obviously, there are plenty of great kosher wines from many different countries. Jay could tell you all about them. He's responsible for a lot of them. But what happens? What is the chain reaction when we in New Jersey, New York, and other areas of this country are buying Israeli bottles of wine? Okay, that's a good question, and we'll, we'll start from the uh, beginning. You're supporting the Israeli farmers first that are growing the grapes. You're then supporting the Israeli workers that are helping to harvest and cultivate the grapes throughout the season. Then, of course, you're supporting all the winery employees. Uh, again, a lot of Israelis there. Some former Americans who moved to Israel, like <laughs> myself. Uh, then, once we sell the wine, we're selling it to a great Jewish company here, which does many great things outside of their business, which is Royal Wine, and their team of tremendously talented people, as we all are very well aware of. Uh, following that, we're supporting the wonderful from retailers, hopefully, that are supporting Israel and promoting Israel, and everybody is happy. When you come home with a great bottle of wine, it's a win-win for everyone. Well, there you have it. What's I'll your... never forget Reb Feish once. Uh, that's oh, Yoyke's father. He's the best. Reb oh. Feish once said to, you know, we had this national sales meeting, and everybody was supposed to do their shtick. I did the marketing shtick. Another guy did the collection shtick. And he was there to do, like, operations. He gets up there, and we're expecting to give us a whole story about how product is shipped and delivered. And he says, guys, I'm here to tell you one thing. You are not selling wine. I said, what? 
Yes, you're selling simchas. <laughs> you're selling sheva brachas. You're selling brises. You're selling weddings. You're selling every time someone. Keep in mind that when you walk into that store and someone buys that wine, eventually they're opening it for Shabbos. They're opening it for their child's bas mitzvah, bar mitzvah. You know, and it's true. It's really true. It's like such a wonderful thing. Yeah, and I could see him saying that. By yeah, the way, really? <laughs> boy, can I see him saying that? Uh, what is your? What do we call it? What do you call the premier bottle of a winery? The landmark bottle? The, flagship. What's your flagship wine? What is it? So, our What fla- is the one? Our flagship wine is our, It's called limited edition, Tabor limited edition, and it's actually very unique. Um, obviously available here. Of course. Uh, every year we change the production because it's a single vineyard, so it, it bears a different name. It's limited edition, but based on the yield of the vineyard, it'll change the number. So the current yeah. vintage available is one of 7,000. 7,000 bottles produced. It's it's a very very small production. Each bottle is individually labeled uh, with a particular number. But even though that is our flagship wine, something which got more recognition than that very recently was our Tabor Adama Merlot. The Adama series, like to speak to the dirt that because we mentioned before, <laughs> is, it's, that's our reserve series. We call it Adama. Each grape, each varietal is in a different soil type. Now this Merlot was just recently rated as the highest-rated Israeli wine ever from the wine enthusiast, which is not evaluating the wine as Israeli or kosher. They're evaluating the wine as wine. And to speak to Jay's point about Binnie's in Chicago, I actually was there about a month ago, and the head buyer of the group told me when I approached him, I said, this was that top-rated Israeli wine. He said, look at this. Look at it a different way. Look at all the wines that got the 93 points in the wine enthusiast this entire summer. Forgetting what region, Napa, Spain, Italy, of course, none of them were kosher except Tabor. He said, your wine is less than half price of the other ones from Napa, from Spain. He says, Israel, this is the ticket to get Israel to the mainstream. Now that you have a wine that could be approachable to all at this price, at this level. Unbelievable. Yep. And this is the one that got the gold medal. This one, this one got the 93 points from the one enthusiast. Which one got the gold medal from Eshkol Zahav? That's actually our Adama Cabernet, ah, the same series, and gotcha. the Adama Shiraz, which we have here as well. Well, there you go. Unbelievable. What a story. Incredible. And the uh, the entire industry uh, continues to grow like crazy. Everybody out there, we continue to recommend the Israeli wines, especially this time of year. Give Jay a couple of minutes to run through some of the things that he's discovered over the last 12 months. Everything you're going to mention are literally new? or this Brand new. Okay. Brand new. Oh, by the way. Brand new wines for the brand new year. By the way, before you, I, I hand it over to you for a couple of minutes. Yeah. So a couple of tidbits I have to share with you. Go ahead. Because now I'm an expert <laughs> wine drinker. Tidbits, I love them. <laughs> you know the, what is it, Walder or Waldner? Walders. So the Walders vanilla, vanilla vodka, vodka. Right. You know what you do with it? What? Listen carefully. I'm listening. First, you chill it. Okay. <laughs> half a glass diet orange soda. Diet ha- orange soda. Half a sunkissed. G- I hope. I guess whatever's on, whatever's on the table. <laughs> half a glass diet orange soda. Half a glass vanilla vodka. Mm. The it seagull is, shake. It is like it's a, like a cream. It's a creamsicle. Oh man! Over, over ice. Over ice. Jay. <laughs> Creamsicle. Is that over a, ice, too. Over ice. Okay. Is that a Rosh Hashanah treat or what? Mm, wow. That is a Rosh Hashanah. That is the seagull Rosh Hashanah treat. Funny. I'm I, telling I, you. I was telling you yesterday, I met a guy that is going to be on um, Naomi's show. Right. Uh, who does oh, that's uh, the cold brewed right. coffee. Right. And he says he does half half a glass of cold brewed coffee and half a glass of vanilla vodka, and he has it every Shalashud. Oh, man after my own heart. It is unbelievable. 
And I, and I say to myself, if only I was 20 years younger, I'd be enjoying it even more. You know, like, <laughs> you know how it is once you reach a certain age. You, know, you don't enjoy all those treats as much. But I'm telling you, that thing is amazing. And the other thing I must tell you. Yeah. You know what Mr. Simon Jacob got me into? Ooh. You know what he my got? good buddy. Yeah, you know what he got me into? What do you get This Gwertzameter. Really? It's a good wine. Oh, very good. Isn't that a good wine? Israel's making great ones now. It's all unbelievable. Over. Yeah. Which one was it? I think it was Barkhan. Did they make a Gwertzameter? No, I think he got what is it. What was the small bottle? It's a smallish bottle. You know, one of those, you know, the one of the small bottles? Not small, small, but like, you know. Carmel. Carmel makes it. Carmel? Carmel's late harvest. Maybe it was Carmel. Carmel. It was unbelievable. Yeah. I got to thank Mary Lusciously Wallach. sweet. Because he served it to me in Israel, and then when she got back from Israel, she got one of the bottles of Duty Free. And we polished it off last night. It was phenomenal. And now I hand it over to Jay Booksbaum, who says that Rosh Hashanah 5775 will offer some great things. What do we got out there? So we heard about uh, a lot of the wines from uh, Tabor, brand new, including the Adama Shiraz. We also have uh, the only kosher, fully kosher winery in, Israel, in Italy called Tierra di Setta, has a Chianti Classico and a reserve Chianti. God. There's a brand new wine from France called Chateau Moulin Riche. And there's wonderful liqueurs under the Heaven Heaven's label. There's a classic cappuccino and a chocolate and a nugget and uh, just a, a wonderful array of liqueurs. Uh, there's also some brand new wines from Sagot, including the M-Series Edom. And, you know, someone was asking me later. Edom has that uh, medallion on it also? Yeah. I thought only the single vineyard. No, no, it has a medallion on it also. But what's interesting about this Edom, that's been around before. Right. But for the first time, this Rosh Hashanah, it's available in Mavushal. So if you're uh, going or having people over that you right. want to be a little careful, you know, with whether you're having Mavushal or not, right. here's a really high-end wine that it is Mavushal. And that was a big step, right? They were fighting making oh, a Mavushal wine. And some of the some of the really delicious kind of, universally acceptable right. wines are a bunch of rosés, a Yikvetzion red Moscato, and a delicious pink Pinot Grigio from Baron Herzog. A delicious pink Pinot Grigio from Baron Herzog, as well as Oregon News's, uh Nabura Amuka Rosé, and Goose Bay, for those of you who are like really dry, wonderful wines, it's a rosé, but it's completely dry. It's a Friday, Erev Yontif, on Naomi's show. You'll hear me there. Oh, meaning live. next week, the Friday before Rosh Hashanah, right? You're going to hear about 20 more. Okay. Wow. So everybody right tune after in. Jay and the AM. Tune in, everybody, right after Jay and the AM, next Friday, Erev right. Yontif. So you can go that afternoon or Sunday or Monday and buy all those new wines that I'm going to be talking about. All right. And obviously, you ran through it quickly. Do you want to give out an email address if anybody wants to be in touch with you directly? Just on any suggestions, et cetera? Uh, Info at uh, royalwines.com, or Perfect. you know what? I'll give you my personal email. Go ahead. How's that? The letter J, Booksbaum, B-U-C-H-S-B-A-U-M, at Kedem.com. What's the cappuccino over there? Which one is that? That's Heaven's Cappuccino. That's the brand, Heaven's? Heaven's. Yeah. Has a hash No. <laughs> no. How'd you sneak that one we, in there? You need to start the new year right. <laughs> Buy something that's trait. No, chas I'm just kidding. He's joking, folks. I'm joking. Tabor has Mavushal wines or not? Currently not. It's unbelievable. The real winemakers really have no interest in making Mavushal wines. I, I our, think our winemaker is open to the idea. Right, but it'll just take them years to come around. No, it is, and Israel, you're sitting here begging them to do it, right? Israel, is for whatever reason... Israel has this phobia, right. especially About amongst making, the better winemakers. Right. What you they, call the Feinschmeckers. The Feinschmeckers right. believe that it somehow is not good for the wine. Right. But certainly in Israel, 
and maybe they may be right about this, it's not good for their reputation. The fact of the matter is, non-kosher wineries in France and in California are now making wine mavushal. They're not kosher because it's not done at the proper time. But they're using that process. But they're using that process without any, you know, negative effects. Well, actually, I'll tell you what. When Jay visited Tabor this summer... He brought it up. He made a pitch, huh? He made a pitch. I, I'm a believer. Well, and, of course. And that, you're an American. What do you well, expect? That, that, Jay's pitch helped. And oh, I spoke good. to the winemaker. And just a teaser. I wasn't going to say it, but we brought it up. We're, we're going to be coming out with a uh, sparkling wine, Mavushal, which will be uh, – it's on its way. It's actually been harvested already. So it's, it's a in start. It's fermentation. Uh, it's a unique product, so it's, it's going to be coming this way soon. Right. I, I will say, though, that when I urge people to make Mavushal, it's only on one condition. If you can make it. So that it doesn't hurt the wine. Right. That's, as that's good. the only. Absolutely. That's the only right. way to do it. And if you can't, then pass. Right. So then don't listen to Jay if you can't. That's right. Do it. Uh, Mr. Cohen, Justin Cohen, Tabora Winery. I look forward to visiting you up in the Galil. And in Efrat, please. And in Efrat, Bezrat Hashem. But I really look forward to being up in the Galil and seeing this. It's. Uh, it sounds amazing, and uh, you know my friends at Coca-Cola, I'm sure, are very proud. Can we broadcast <laughs> from there? Yes, we'll do a broadcast from there. I'll do I'll do my famous tasting. Jay will prepare them for what my famous <laughs> tastings means, okay? And maybe Jay will come and join me. I and, love Mr. It. and Mr. Booksbaum, I thank you. I thank you for all your uh, amazing information, and I hope you have a happy, healthy, sweet New Year as well. And, hey, keep buying good kosher wine from Israel. And I, I know there's other wines that you're interested in as well, but, you know, we're trying to encourage our listeners to keep a focus on the Holy Land during this season. And since I'm from Williamsburg, yeah. and you'll hear me say this hopefully uh, when I'm with Naomi, right? since I'm from Williamsburg, Chasiva, Chasima Taiva, I get get benched your some alamin. Umain, Umain. Very good. JM in the AM on this Thursday morning broadcast. <laughs>